In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Betches Media presents... Afternoon Tea with host Sammy Sage. Is that what you're saying? Please proceed, Governor. Presented by the Betches Sub Podcast. You better hope there's a lot of girls listening to this with the volume turned down. Your weekly dose of political therapy. Cardi, that's what I've been doing my whole life. And now, with this week's guest. Well, there were three of us in this marriage, so it was a bit crowded. Your host, Sammy Sage. Welcome to today's episode of Afternoon Tea, your companion to the morning announcements and weekly political therapy session brought to you by the Betches Sup. Today's guest is Hallie Jackson, NBC News senior Washington correspondent and MSNBC anchor. We chatted about Hallie's recent exclusive reporting on American extremism, the mental health fallout from the Capitol insurrection, and her experience giving birth days before the pandemic hit. With that, let's get the tea from Hallie. Thank you so much for joining us, Hallie. We are so pleased to have you here. It is truly my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Amazing. This is, I mean, as an MSNBC super fan, I am just thrilled to be talking to you. I'm so touched. Thank you for your loyal viewership. We love that. <laughs> I am extremely loyal. I will tell you that um, my birthday was this past weekend. And Happy birthday. In the, thank you. And in the morning, it was on Saturday. I was just like, to my husband, I'm like, you know, I just want to sit here and watch MSNBC. And like, this is you, my you place. A, you were like, I'm going to do Velshi. You were like, I'm going to listen to the cross know, connection. Exactly. Tiffany, you're going to yeah. rock it out with Alex Witt. That's kind of the ideal birthday situation. It, yeah, it was perfect. So, so I guess just to start um, to, you know, kind of let the audience get to know you, can you tell us a little bit about your career trajectory and how you became the senior Washington correspondent at NBC? Yeah. Like, do you want me back to like the days of elementary school or? Uh, maybe well, I mean, if you would, did you always want to be a journalist? If that, you know. Definitely did not. Many career paths, Sammy. I was like, okay, let me be a pharmacist and then an attorney. And then like, maybe I'd work in an ad agency. This was pre-Mad Men. And I was like, that'd be cool. Um, and I sort of realized it, when I was in my early 20s that politics was something I was really interested in and writing and storytelling was something I was really interested in. And that's how I got into journalism. I started at NBC I think it was 2014. I was like a little baby correspondent. I moved out to LA. I got like plucked out of local news um, and, and moved to our LA bureau for NBC to do general assignment reporting. And I covered everything from lava flows in Hawaii to, you know, people who read their childhood diaries and performances to, you know, Caitlyn Jenner. We just, it was a huge variety of stories, you know, that, that I was doing. Uh, and that was a lot of fun. But in 2015, the then head of the network, tapped me to go cover politics. She literally was like, hey, you, you, because I had worked in DC previously. She says, you know, DC, like there's a lot of people running for president. This was in the Republican primary when there were something like 16 candidates. She's like, we need some help. Can you go on the road for a couple of weeks? Um, and I basically stayed on the road through the entire primary season, covered 
kind of everybody but Donald Trump right up until the end. And then I covered Donald Trump, ended up in the White House as our chief White House correspondent and covered every single day of the Trump administration up until Inauguration Day. And then I shifted into this new role as senior Washington correspondent, which has been amazing, doing bigger picture stories, longer lead stories, still obviously keeping some a lot of actually of fingers in the sort of political pie with Democratic sources, Republican sources, contributing to our reporting there and getting to do some some kind of cool projects for the network um, as well. I'm also launching a streaming show uh, over the summer, which we're really excited to Thank you on NBC News Now, which has been fun developing a concept like from scratch, from nothing and, and building it and watching it come to life. Okay, my other question um, is before we talk about some of your more recent reporting yeah. is sort of like in the history of everything you've reported, what has been the most like interesting or challenging, like what, like what's that like, you know, really intense moment for you? That is such a good question. And there's so many that come up, I would say, you know, and it depends because interesting is different from intense. I would say some of the more intense moments involve being in, I'm not going to say confrontational or combative moments, but issues when you are at odds with a person in power and working to hold them accountable. And so that happened frequently in in my coverage of then president Donald Trump, you know, when you're in either not that he ever did the briefing room, but when you're in these one on one situations with him or small group situations and you are working to hold, you know, to hold him hold truth to power, right? Those can be very intense moments because you have to you have to know your stuff. You got to be on your toes. You got to be ready to follow back, you know, follow up and push back. Um, he also, you know, in some instances, you know, would, would scold you or yell at you and you had to be ready for that and figure out what your strategy was around there. So those could be really intense just because that is a high pressure situation and you want to get it right. Uh, I moderated one of the uh, presidential primary debates last year, right before the pandemic, the pandemic. That was obviously very intense, took a lot of prep. You know, it's a big stage. It's a big moment. And it's the same thing. You want to hold people in power who are looking to be in power accountable. Um, And so those moments can be really intense. Interesting moments. There are so many. You know, I think of my time on the campaign trail in 2015 and 2016. It was totally nonstop. You're just going and going. I was thinking about this recently because I'm starting to get on the road more. I am, as we speak, half vaccinated, which I'm so grateful for. Yay. What did you, I always like to ask, what did you get? I got Pfizer. Pfizer. What about you? Okay. We're we're Moderna just because that was what was available. Okay. Well, we cover the full range. Exactly. We have the whole spectrum going on. At the moment, especially. Thank you, Sammy. Um, And so, but I am starting to travel more as travel starts to open up a little bit, you know, when it's necessary for stories. And it's just, it's fun to get back on the road again. I didn't do that um, really at all over the last year and a half because of the pandemic. I also just had a baby last year and was on maternity leave. So packing my like road bag was reminding me of a lot of the memories from when I was traveling literally, you know, almost every single day. I'd come home for a couple of nights and then be on the road for like three weeks at a time. That was always really interesting. And then I always talk about my time in LA. I loved it so much. First of all, I thought I was going to hate LA. Like, are you a California person at all? An LA person? Or I mean, I really like California. I'm like a little bit mad that I didn't just come from there because I have a hard time be- like being like, oh, I'm going to go there. I'm like, lit, you know, but I kind of just wish I was from LA sometimes. And you could just have that vibe you know like if i could have picked i'm from long island originally so if i could have picked from there or like california anywhere almost anywhere in california i would have picked probably almost anywhere in california 
So I feel I, I love I'm from Philly and I love being from Philly. That's like a big my, I got my people. I got my Wawa. I got my Philadelphia Eagles. But I when I moved to California, I was like, I'm not going to like L.A. Like, this is cool. It's a great job. I was like, but ugh, L.A. is not for me. And it turned out like it was so much more than I ever thought. Like it just the outdoor. Yeah, I'm, I'm very into the outdoors. And so the hiking and the outdoor activities was so cool. You could do a lot of cool travel just within the state. And the stories we were doing were, were very ver- varied. So those were always very interesting. You know, like I said, living in Hawaii for two weeks or going to, um, you know, Yosemite when these climbers were summiting the Dawn Wall and we did it live on Nightly News. You know, it was with one of my colleagues. Very cool, very interesting stuff. Not at all political. Um, And so it's been fun now in the world of politics to figure out, okay, how can we tell stories that are compelling and that are relevant um, and that go deeper and go beyond just here's what some, you know, here's what the president said today. Right. So when you are approaching a story or not even a story, but even the presidential debates are just like prepping to be in the white in like the, the press room. How do you actually prepare? Like, like what is your process there? Yeah. So it is a process, right? Um, and, and it depends on the situation. Like I would say, so for example, for a briefing or for, I mean, the debate is kind of a special thing that takes this crazy, crazy intense process and tons of prep for weeks with this big team and you're all together and you're working on things. But generally the process always involves it's super collaborative. So it's, it's working with colleagues. I think that's one of the strengths of NBC news is that we have an absolute kick-ass team of reporters. I don't just say that because they're also my friends. I know you're like all my favorites. I'm like a little jealous. But they're like really good. They're like really, really good. And we all work together really well. Um, We have these, you know, cross-platform initiatives. So whether it's NBC News, you know, MSNBC, you know, the Today Show, Nightly News, Digital, like everybody is harnessing. I sound like I'm, you know, a corporate chill here, but like we really are harnessing the power of NBC. And so my, my, my colleagues and I do collaborate and think about, you know, so for example, when I used to do briefings or for even stories that I'm doing now, it's like, okay, how do we get at this? What, what's, what's our strategy here when it comes to, for example, specific questions that you might throw to a press secretary, like, okay, well I'll ask this, but you know, they're going to say this back. So then how do you respond and how do we make the question better so that they can't, you know, so it, you, so you actually get news out of people, right? Because that's, you want to, you want to actually make headlines. You want to make, not make headlines. You want to get information, meaning, um, I right. think there's this, listen, people who are in positions like that are spokespeople, right. Or then this isn't a bad thing about a press secretary. It's their jobs. Often cases, you know, oftentimes, you know, will redirect the question or will spin. I mean, that's what, that's a lot of times what they do. Our job is to get beneath the spin is to cut back the spin. And so figuring out how to do that can be really important. So I would say collaboration is critical. Even now, um, you know, as I'm working on these projects where I'm collaborating with people from, for example, my MSNBC show team with one of the broadcast show teams on the same story, somebody from the investigative team, you know, we're, we're pulling in people from all these different areas of the network. And I think it is just making our storytelling, I hope, strong. Well, that sounds very fun. I'll be honest. It is super fun. Yeah. It's like the best thing ever. So thank you. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners. I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click 
gift mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com, and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And gift mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. So a recent project that you've worked on is really focused on the emotional fallout from the Capitol insurrection, which obviously is bad. Can you tell us about that project and what you've learned? Totally. So the the project generally, we're we're working this whole week. um, And actually, Friday is the hundredth day since the January 6th attack on the Capitol. And so all across our NBC News and MSNBC platforms, we've been looking specifically at a hundred days after the siege at American extremism and at the fallout from that day. Um, And I've been fortunate to work on several projects that are finally getting to see the light of day this week. We've been working on them for weeks. Um, One of them involves my reporting around mental health resources and the mental health support for people who are still extremely traumatized and dealing with the aftermath what we call the invisible fallout from the attack. There is visible fallout, right? You can go to the hill and you know you see the, the fencing and most of it's been taken down, but there was broken glass, there was debris, all that is gone now, but there are scars that still remain for so many people. So one of the stories we did, um, this exclusive interview with a member of Congress for the first time breaking his silence publicly about his mental health struggle after January 6th, Michigan Congressman Dan Kildee was in the chamber, in the House gallery, so like the upstairs part. He actually took this video that was, you probably saw it, Sammy, it was everywhere of the officers with their guns drawn at the yeah. chief doors. And he was sort of yelling and, and there, it was very, very memorable. Um, he told me in our interview that he got home. He thought he was okay. He went home. Then he started watching more video and then it hit him and he started having a physical and emotional reaction. So we talked about that. And in an extraordinary move, I've interviewed a lot of members of Congress. I've never interviewed a member of Congress alongside their therapist. So Dr. Gordon, who is the congressman's therapist, actually joined us for that interview and talked about how he immediately recognized signs of post-traumatic stress. This is somebody, this therapist, who has worked in Kosovo. He's worked in Parkland. He's worked with war-traumatized veterans. He knows what these signs and symptoms are. um, And he worked with Congressman Kildee on different techniques to help. What we found more broadly in our reporting in a story that also aired this week on the Today Show and on um, hopefully my MSNBC show as well, we've been juggling some breaking news, is a surge in demand for these mental health resources on Capitol Hill. So it took some digging. I haven't worked on this story for a little while, um, but it turns out that they are on pace for something like on the House side to be 200% busier than in a typical year. They nearly doubled the number of counselors they brought it in because they had hundreds of interactions, something like nearly 1,200 sessions for individuals or groups or training in just the six weeks after January 6th. And I'm told the demand you know, has, has still been growing even since then, right up until really the end of March is the last time that we have data for that. On the Senate side, same thing. They've added staff, a couple of counselors. I'm told by one source that's partly because of the pandemic too. So they were kind of already strapped with people reaching out 
feeling like really having some anxiety around the pandemic, you add on January 6th and this is where they are. And then there's this group of people who are extremely uniquely affected by this and by what happened earlier this month. And that's Capitol Police after those two attacks on the Capitol and the death of of members of their police force. And U.S. Capitol Police um, has told me that they are working to build out this internal peer support system. They're hoping to develop this program and roll it out later this year. They understand that, that mental health is an issue and they want to be able to support that. They've brought in counselors to help. They brought in a group that specializes in psychological trauma to hold workshops, too. So it's been um, really interesting to to get into this and to talk to people. We talk to lawmakers on both sides of the aisle who say, listen, like, you have to have a space for people to share their stories, right? That's so important because talking about the trauma and processing it helps and lifting the stigma and saying, no, we're going to talk about it, right? Like we're going to get it out there for the congressman, for example. He's like, I'm going to appear with my therapist because I need to practice what I preach. I want to show people if even one person can say, and we heard this over and over again from people that we talked to, like, because hey, I said, why would you, why would you be speaking publicly about this? I'm so glad you are, but tell me why. And they would say, because if even one person can hear my story, right. And like, know that it's okay to talk about what they're feeling and their struggles, then that's really important. Um, and so personally, it's been really important for me to be able to tell that story. Um, I'm working on another piece as well, which will air uh, this week as well on extremism and how do you get people out of extremism. So lots of super interesting projects that are that are coming to fruition this week. I have so many questions on all of that. When it comes to the the mental health resources, in terms of the, the people who are seeking this out, is it Congress people, staffers? Like, what about just sort of like the average person who like works in the Capitol? Yeah, as... there's a lot of them, right? They're not all members of Congress. They're like staffers and other people. That's who the resources are for. So it's through this Congressional Employee Assistance Program, which is like, you know, if you know, like corporate systems, it's like the HR, you know, the EAP. We, I think we have an EAP at Comcast too, you know, Comcast, NBC Universal. So it's, it's what you'd find in a private system, but it's specifically for people who work, you know, for House members or for senators. Um, so it's staffers, it's members of Congress, it's they do things like management consultations, they do things like trainings, they do group and individual sessions. One of the uh, staffers that I spoke with, uh, a woman who was on, you know, in her office the day of the 6th, she had had taken advantage of these counseling services. Um, and it's a really, you know, interesting story. She was, like I said, in her office, when the riot happened, you know, she was watching it on TV, right. Mm-hmm. And on Twitter, looking at updates. Cause she was in her office, like, you know, they shut the door. They weren't going anywhere for it. Um, she was so scared that she texted one of her friends, what she was wearing and where her car was parked just in case she needed to have her body be identified, right. Or her possessions identified. I mean, that's how, that's how she was feeling. And she said, you know, Later, she realized she was safe, that the rioters weren't near her office, but she didn't know that at the time, you know? Right. She's had, um, she talked about how sometimes she she just starts crying and doesn't know why she's crying. And she's like, oh, right. It's because I'm reliving this moment, these moments. And she started having recurring nightmares. She'd never had them before. She wakes up in the middle of the night kind of gasping for air and she'd never experienced that. So she's somebody who's an example of like, just a per, you know, she's a director of operations for a member of Congress. She works on the Hill and she's somebody who reached out for those resources. I will say there are others though, right? Like contractors, for example, right. who are contracted out or journalists, for example, um, who work on the Hill and who were there on the sixth that would not have access to that. 
So one of the things we did was talk with one of the lawmakers who's part of a bipartisan group, specifically calling for help for some of those contractors, right, to allow them to be a part of the process as well, because there's still people who are, you know, in that Capitol Hill sphere. Uh, But you're right, there's a lot of people who aren't, like, we think like, okay, you know, there's 100 senators who work on the Hill. There's like a ton of people in that apparatus, the Capitol Hill, you know, it's not just the Capitol building, there's a a number of office buildings that surround it where people work and those people are looking for resources as well. Right. Like the maintenance people, the people in the cafeteria, it's just, it's really, it's crazy how big of an, an impact it's had. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. When it comes to your reporting on extremism and how to get people out of that, what what did you find there? And do you think that it is possible to come back from this like really kind of scary place of polarization that we're in? Well, those are sort of two separate questions, right? And there's sort of the individual question and then the societal question. So let me take the individual question. And without tipping our hand too much at what we have, um, I can tell you it's a story that I've been working on for weeks, um, sort of with this, with, with, with putting this together. And there's actually a new study that just came out that talks about this um, from Rand showing that yes, and, and actually our team talked with, with the authors and they said, our takeaway, one of them said, there is hope. It is possible to get people out of hate groups, to help people exit extremism. The point of what the story we're going to talk about is, is it is a very long and very complicated process. There's this idea, I think sometimes people talk about it, like you can deprogram extremists. There are those in the community that work on exit extremism who say you can't, deprogramming sounds like you push a button and the hate goes away. That's not how this works. That's not what happens. This is complicated. There are similar root causes, even across ideologies, whether it's white supremacy or Islamic radicalism that that one of the groups we talked to has found. Um, And so their, their point is, you know, we've got to do things to get at those underlying root causes. It is complicated and it is in depth and it is not easy, right? Um, and so there are some really uh, incredible elements that we'll be able to, to talk more about on that too. Do you think there's hope on a societal level? You know, that's probably a question that's above my pay grade. I can talk based on like, you know, that's like a good philosopher question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Based on my reporting, you know, I think 
um, I can point to what we've heard from, for example, people who work in this field, which there is, you know, they have been able to individually on individual cases, help people and get people out of this lifestyle. I actually spoke with one person who was, you know, a, a, a leader in the, in the Ku Klux Klan, basically a KKK person who was fully in this extremist hate group movement, um, whose wife reached out to one of these groups had an intervention basically along with somebody else and helped him basically come out of extremism. He now works to help others, uh, you know, to sort of de-recruit them, if you will, or, or help get them away from this life of hate. And so there are stories you can point to and say, okay, like, and like I said, like there is research that shows you can pull people out of this. Um, I think that, you know, the broader question of polarization, it speaks to so much, Sammy, like the idea of, you know, and, and the studies have shown and the data shows, disinformation, misinformation plays into so much of this. Like it, all these issues are intertwined in a really significant way. Um, and that's, I think, what you're seeing this research kind of pick apart. Do, can you give us a sense of what like the day-to-day life of an extremist, quote unquote, is ver- like compared with sort of like the life of, you know, any person? Like, are they are they living just like you and I? Or I think it's different, right? Like based on, you know, it's different based on each individual case. I can tell you, um, for example, I can tell you about one anonymous person, one person that I spoke with who is remaining anonymous. And part of the condition of speaking with her is that we would protect her identity. Um, and in her instance, you know, her husband was online, right? And, and became, fell into hate, slipped into hate that way also had other complicating factors. Uh, abusing alcohol, for example, that was part of it. That's part of the 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 issue and uh, 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 part of his his experience. And that's what we, in our reporting and in our story, that we're, that's sort of more broadly what we heard from some of the people who are working to help people exit extremism is that in the words of, of one woman, hate is like an addiction. That's how they think of it. Um, and so how do you get people out of addiction? And how do you get people out of being you know addicted to hate, if you will? Right. So it's that they're sort of just like consuming these, you know, this information and these theories throughout their day. And that's kind of like what it depends, plus combined with like, like those other behaviors. Yeah. yeah. And again, I think it's just different case to case. That real that makes a lot of sense that it does sort of coexist with other, you know, dependencies or like numbing agents that, you know, that definitely makes a lot of sense. Um Okay, sorry, we're just going to switch gears. Let me just look at my outline. Um, Of course, switch away. Yeah. Okay, so on the topic of mental health, I mean, we've all experienced a crazy amount of uncertainty this year. What have you learned anything through your reporting about sort of the effect on the mental health of the general public? Yeah, I mean, listen, with the pandemic and with, um, you know, and I live in Washington and with the things that we've seen in Washington this year, I think it's been very clear and it's been established since COVID really started that there is a serious mental health um, consequence to all of this. And I don't know that you even have to look at research and like talk to your friends, talk to people around you. Um, Yeah. Talk to almost anybody, right? Like you, you will find people that have struggled. Some people... The, the struggle manifests in very different ways. I think some people talk about it. Some people don't. Um, and there's just different, you know, I think the ones perhaps silver lining, if there is one to this devastating pandemic is that there is an awareness, I think more and more of what 
you, what resources need to be in place to help support people who are having mental health challenges and to be able to talk about it again, I think is really important. Definitely. And so you yourself just went through kind of a crazy year, the your baby's first year of life, because you gave birth at the begin, right at the beginning of the pandemic. What was that, um, that experience like? Because, you know, I was looking, you know, as I was prepping for this, like, really early days before we knew really anything. So like, how did that feel? And then, you know, having, you know, a newborn during kind of the craziest year ever. Kind of was, right? Yeah. Um, we're like Monroe, you know, our daughter's name is Monroe. We're like, wait, wait till you turn, name. wait till you get a little older. Like, thank you. We're like, you're going to have a lot to learn about 2020 because it was a hell of a year. Um, you know, we, we, I, I, Frank and I, my partner and I had Monroe March 9th. And if you remember, this was last March, it was like two days, but we actually walked out of the hospital two days later. And that was the day that Tom Hanks announced he got COVID, which to a lot of people was like, oh my God, the NBA suspended its season. We had that primetime address uh, from the Oval Office. So if it felt like we always say it walked, we, we walked into one world, you know, walked into the hospital in labor in one world. And we walked out in this totally different world. It felt like almost apocalyptic walking out of the hospital. You know, we didn't know a lot, as you say, like nobody really knew a lot in those early days. We were at the hospital. Nobody was wearing masks. You know, my parents luckily were able to visit Frank's, you know, dad and stepmom and sister came like we had family there. Um, and it was fine. Like now that would never happen. You get like one, you know, you, your, your, your partner in there and that's it, right. The father of the child. And that's, that's pretty much it. Um, or, or a support person. So it, it was just a very sort of bizarre experience. Also though, like we came home and we were in our bubble, like we knew we we're going to be in a bubble anyway. And so the difference is everybody was also in a bubble, not because they had newborns, but because of COVID. Right. And so it was, it was just a very, um, interesting experience. One of the things that we heard a lot about prior to the pandemic, when I was pregnant and prior to giving birth, the advice from, from folks that we talked to was, Hey, don't get like, really, you know, make sure that you're not isolating yourself, make sure that you're still reaching out for help and seeing people. And then here we are in the pandemic. And I'm like, well, so much for not isolating ourselves. Like we, we were because everybody was, uh, so, you know, at the same time we just were able to, I, I was kind of grateful to not have to um, think about too much beyond sort of my little universe there. Obviously we were, we were thinking in, on a personal capacity about COVID and the impacts and frankly, in our personal lives, what that meant in our family members and the, the, the health of the people that we know. Um, but it was, it was, I think NBC did a good job. People didn't have to go into work all the time, right? Like basically our entire network started working from home. I mean, it was crazy, this technological lift that they, that all these news organizations undertook to make sure that people were staying safe. So by the time I came back to work after maternity leave, they had figured out the kinks. It was like, well, here's what you're going to need to successfully work from home. And like, we're going to build a studio in your basement and you don't have to come into the bureau. And so that was, um, I sort of was able to, to come in after everybody had, had figured out how to do it and plug myself into the system, uh, coming back just in time, you know, for, the Democratic convention, the Republican convention, the 2020 election, the you know impeachment, everything else that happened to the, the COVID outbreaks at the White House, Donald Trump getting COVID, like that was all packed into like a five month period. Well, at least he wasn't doing any press conferences. So there was that that, you know, saved you a few hours. Totally. <laughs> but I can I cannot even imagine how wild it must have been to have like that first week of the pandemic also be like your first week as a mother, like that is just like two incredibly emotional experiences happening at once. And the, I give you a lot of credit for for that. That is quite an experience. 
Yeah, you know, I've found too, like a lot of people, you know, I, I've found people since who have also had babies like that week or in March and we can kind of commiserate, you know, a colleague of mine here even at NBC. And it's like, we just didn't know what the heck was happening. Nobody did. Right. And then we also didn't know what the heck was happening because we're like, what is this baby? Like, I don't know how to do this. And um, it was just, you know, I had I, Frank and I had moved into this house because we're like, oh, great. It has an extra bedroom for like my mom to come stay with us and live with us and help us with the baby. And like, she's not going to travel. You know, she, there was no vaccine that wasn't going to happen. So it just, it definitely had a sort of rethinking things. Um, but you know, the, the amazing thing now is that the, there, there does seem to be is even as the pandemic numbers are not fully going in the direction people want them to be going in, we still have a ways to go, but there is at least a light at the end of the tunnel. And I think for so many people that feels very hopeful. It certainly does for me. I am, I'm definitely feeling good. Good. For our last segment, um, we basically do, I do something called the four questions where I ask every every guest the same set of four questions to just like get to know you. They're a little more personal since okay. a lot of people on, you know, who come on are, you know, experts and, you know, serious figures. So <laughs> am I a serious figure? I don't know. Yeah, I, you're definitely a serious figure. You're also a serious figure. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, okay, so the first question is, what is your happiest memory? Oh, man, just like ever in life? Ev- anything, anything that makes you happy. Because like, really, I do this so that like people will leave feeling good and like remembering something that. good. I love okay, yeah. happiest memory. I mean, dude, it, it obviously has to be holding my daughter for the first time. Like I'm a monster if I don't say that, yeah. right? So like that's- for the first perfect. person to say it. And people have come on who have children, so <laughs> you're not well, a mom. My happiest memory is eating ice cream from the fridge last night. No, I think it would be holding holding my baby girl for the first time was an unbelievable. You're also like I hadn't, you know, I would end up doing an unmedicated birth, and so like the, the crazy hormones, like endorphins, you're just like it's like you're high. You know, you have the, the birthing high, and anyways, but yes, holding her was amazing and, and very happy. That is really sweet. Happy first birthday and a month to her to Monroe my best friend just had a baby a week ago like literally a week ago like this minute so I'm hearing all about the birthing hormones <laughs> yeah. Which is, and it's also like listen also ta- I hope people are talking about like you know the, the things that are great. like I was so lucky that I had an amazing group of friends who was like here's the deal you're gonna need to wear adult diapers you're gonna you know this is gonna have like just the whole nine yards of like this is what your journey is gonna be like so like i would felt like i was very prepared for all the things that people don't always talk about you know i think it's important that we also talk about like as much as it was amazing to hold my daughter for the first time like it's also really hard to be a new mom and like that's okay too and it doesn't mean you're a worse mom it just means that that is part of the process and you know being transparent about those things i think helps it's kind of like going back to the idea of like mental health you got to talk about it right like acting like everything's cool is not always going to be helpful for folks. Totally. Totally. Therapy is unparalleled. I am a big proponent of therapy. I promise. No, I am a big proponent of therapy. The listeners know. Yeah. It's like going to the, I feel like it's, you know, I think that for people, you know, and it's one of the reasons why why healthcare is important, but it's, it should be like going to the dentist, right? Something that you do regularly as a checkup. Um, That's how I feel about it personally. And and I found that, that that to be a good, a good thing for me. Totally. I'm totally with you. I go to my therapist more than I go to the dentist. <laughs> a lot more. <laughs> um, okay. So the next question is, if you could go on a vacation with any two people, dead or alive, who would they be and where would you go? So, okay. I had I had heard that you were going to maybe ask this question. And I was like, all right, if I have to go on vacation with people like that are famous, 
they don't have to be famous. You, they could be your own. Okay, they like, could if be famous. That's work. That's like hard. Like I have to like any, talk to them. You know, I, what I had thought about, I was like, all right, who? And I made myself Sammy. I was like, all right, just pick it. Who would you go with? Like famous person, go. I mean, it was Oprah. It, it was Oprah. Like just yeah. me and Oprah, just the two of us, nobody else. Just that's like, a good one. Go to California to her beautiful house and like you know, talk or to Gail's house. Amazing. Yeah, like talk about books and things and you know like just get into it i don't know that would be my that was my first instinct if it were really that's any two people it would obviously be like frank and monroe but you know that's, that's right but you know you could choose like frank and oprah you know but yeah but you want oprah all to like, yourself like maybe yeah. just me and oprah, you know yeah <laughs> i feel you know oprah's a good choice because like she's just just, interesting. you know easy to talk to yeah. i feel like yeah. i would have a lot of epiphanies Totally. She's Oprah. Okay. The third question is, and this is, you know, a little bit more of a self-aware one. What are you horrible at and cannot be trusted with? Holding somebody else's phone. Good. <laughs> yeah. Straight up. If you, if you want to get it back in one piece, just don't give it to me. Like, don't ask me to take a picture. I'll drop it. It'll crack. I'm acknowledging that. Okay. I will note that for when, you know, Hopefully one day we'll meet and I will not give you my phone. Don't, just don't do it. You'll regret it. <laughs> okay, last question. Or maybe I could, you know, I can get a new phone out of it. <laughs> okay, last question. If you could fix any problem in the world, like, you know, big scale problem, what, not like tiny, um, what would it be? Like you just have the magical power to fix it. Totally. I think it would have. So I, I saw something sort of similar to this on Twitter, like one of those games that people do where it's like, there's like nine options. It's like you get three of them, right? Yeah. And one of them was like, like with candy. I usually see it. Though. Right. Exactly. Or like <laughs> drinks or this was like world issues or whatever. It was like wishes you could have like unlimited money, unlimited, whatever. One of them was like healing people. And I'm like, well, of, of course, like, how do you not pick that? So like I would solve cancer. Like, yes. Or, you know, or just, disease like that would be something you know if i had magic powers of course that's what you do and again it's kind of yeah. like naturally what else do people say you know what i mean so although many issues are, are important but that would be one that i think i would do i think that you know getting people healthy is an important one healing is a good one because i feel like most answers that people do give like hunger or climate change and i still honestly i'm not uh, even sure of my own answer to this question most answers people give are with the goal of healing people not just like to solve for them themselves so you really just cut to the chase with that i kind of love that though i mean like hunger and climate change are both great because they're both huge huge issues that like there is no easy solution to right same thing kind of like with healing like with cancer or disease like what is an answer that would solve everything do you know what i mean i mean maybe it's healing well that's kind of why like i kind of lean towards climate change in my own head but i still have not settled on an answer for this yeah do you answer these questions when you do them uh no i don't who, i just ask the guests two, who are your two famous vacations uh, this okay like oh this is hard okay like rbg probably okay. um possibly meryl streep um meryl and oprah would be one hell of a combination yeah, Oprah's definitely like up there. But then sometimes I'm like, why don't I pick someone like more accessible? Like, why don't I just go on a vacation like with my like husband like or my mom? <laughs> totally. I mean, that's right. also a good option. Yeah. Um, but probably like an RBG situation. Yeah. 
but uh, the other ones are harder. But no one's ever asked them back at me. So, so what's your ha- well? Let's do it. What's your happiest memory? Oh, that's so fucking hard. I feel like I mean, let's go like d- like younger ages, like yeah. times with my grandmother where she would take me to like the museum and art class and like drive around in her car. I love that. Were you too close? Yeah very close so I grew up like in my grandparents house and like my parents too but it's kind of like an unusual situation so I was very close to my grandmother and Aww. she just like she just like, did everything with me so it was yeah that's so cool was she like a badass was she like a grandmotherly like cookie baker was she like she was a badass she was a badass she would go to like dance classes and like she was out every night like very very social the theater, you know, awesome. Always like buying me stuff, which I like loved, you know? So yeah, she was a badass and like very, um, she would like tell me to meditate when I was like three. She was ahead of the curve on that. She was ahead of the curve on like a lot of things like food stuff. Like, you know, yeah, she was cool. Well, now we have to round it out. What is your, the other one was, um, what's the thing you can't be trusted with? I cannot schedule anything like i do not we schedule this we're here talking. no i didn't i did not schedule this <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> i cannot schedule anything like i've booked a number like the amount of money i've lost in my life probably due to like misbooked flights i just like you can't trust me with anything like logistical filling out forms so you're saying you would like not be a great TV producer, like logistics, you know? No. Got it. Okay. Or like assistant. I'd be a horrible assistant. Like, yeah. Okay. Well, again, self-awareness. That's a key thing. Thank you. Yeah. This has been fun. This is why you're, this is why you're a journalist because you know to ask the questions. Back. <laughs> oh, they're good questions. So, you know. Thank you. No, I try, I try to, the idea for this is sort of like political therapy. So like you're in, you know, a try to put, trying to put people in a good place. Love that. That's so cool. Well, I'm so glad you had me on. I feel so, so honored to be talking with you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Hallie. It has been great talking to you. You can catch more of Hallie's reporting on MSNBC throughout the week as part of NBC News and MSNBC's special programming on the roots of extremism in America. Afternoon Tea is produced by Sean Kilby and Jorge Morales-Pico. Our editor is Stacey Wong. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Guest booking by Nicole Pellegrino. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.